Welcome to the Teaching and Lectio podcast for the Abbey, a contemplative vineyard church in Columbus, Ohio. You can find previous teachings in our contemplative reading of the scriptures on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website at theabbeycolumbus.church. There you'll also find important announcements along with the location and time of our all-church gatherings and community groups throughout the city. The Abbey is committed to being a church that helps people notice and nurture the work of God in their own lives, in the lives of others, and in the world around us. Is that the first time you've ever seen a low battery signal on a screen like this? Um, I don't know about you, but 20% battery remaining is not low battery. I mean, low battery is like 2%, and you're like, I got this, right? Um, Anyway, I think we're going to make it. Hey, if you have a Bible, I'll invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 16 this morning. Um, listen, friends, I know that, um, you know, the, the, the pages and the book and the leather and all the stuff has fallen on rough times in, in exchange for our uh, electronic devices. Um, totally fine. If you have a Bible on, a, on an app, that's great. Um, I'm, I'm just in a season where, for some reason, like the, the feeling of a book in my hand is really important. I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles. Uh, there's something about sort of flipping through um, that, that muscle memory that I want to try to lean into a little bit in the life of our community. So if you have a Bible, bring it. And if you don't have a Bible, I would love to buy you a Bible. I'd be happy to do that. So um, Matthew chapter 16, we'll, we'll get there in just a bit. Um, but first, before we launch in, I want to just uh, highlight a couple things is that this week, I'm going to be sending you uh, some important communication about sort of the future um, as we head into the summer and then even as we make plans for the fall. And so um, Heather is going to come up at the end, and we're trying to basically up the communication game. We're trying to figure out how to best communicate. And so we, we really need to get you on a mailing list so that we can push some information on onto you. And so we are going to do a survey um, as we think about what's going to happen in the next like six or eight months. So we have to actually make lots and lots of plans for getting this space and staffing and all kinds of things. And so we need you guys to respond to that and to, to help us think through the next six or 12 months. So more information to come on that. So we'll be in Matthew 16. Uh, but first, I want to start with the closing lines of a famous poem. Mary Oliver, in her poem, uh, The Summer's Day, closes with these words, tell me what it is that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. These are the closing lines. It's a famous poem. How many of you ever heard this, this phrase? Tell me what it is you want to do with your one wild and precious life. It's a good question. And um, these are the lines that are sort of taped to mirrors and pinned to cork boards and framed in embroidery above the eat, pray, love sign in the, in the house in middle America. Tell me what it is that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. But the line just before this line is actually about death. She writes this. She says, doesn't everything die at last and too soon? And the implication of Oliver's last line is meant to inspire the reader to soak in life, to pay attention to all of the details, to the grasshoppers and the grass, and to live life to the fullest because death is coming, and it's coming too soon. 
And listen, guys, this poem is inspiring. It's beautiful. Uh, in so many ways, it's asking the right question. It's trying to get us to pay attention to our life and all the details of our life, which I think is actually a very similar question that Jesus is wanting to press into, except Jesus isn't asking a question about what it is that we want to do before we die. He's asking a question about what is it that you want to do with your life once you've decided to die and to give up your life. And that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. Have you considered what might happen if you took on the posture of denying yourself in your own default sort of setting in life and following in the way of Jesus, not only in his life and the way that he lives, but also in his death as he heads towards the cross. You guys know that we're headed towards Good Friday. We're headed towards Easter Sunday. And so I want to talk with you this morning about what it means to lose your life and then to find it. So we've been doing a series in the life of our church over the past uh, five or six months, slowly working our way as we've sort of relaunched out of COVID. It really is actually unbelievable to see faces. Um, it's been really odd to preach with people having their face covered, but I know that that's just what we've had to do. So it's really great to see your faces. The main question that we've been asking is, what does it mean to be a human being? And more importantly, what does it mean to be a human being and to live our life out of the story of the life that we've sort of inserted ourselves into when we've decided to follow Jesus? And the core idea that we've been looking at is the possibility that your life right here, all of the things that we've been through, all the living that we're through, is actually the thing that's creating us into a human being, that we've yet to become human in the way in which we're designed to become human, which is a life that is a life that loves in the way that God loves. This is sort of the foundation that, that becoming a human being means becoming a person that loves in the way of God. And this life is our womb. Like we're being formed towards that. And over the next three teaching Sundays, our all church gatherings as we head into Easter, we'll, we'll conclude this series by looking at this question through the lens of following Jesus in his life and death and resurrection. That these are not just events that happened in the past, but that these are actually events that happened in the past that have an impact on the present moment that you're living in, and they have an impact on your future. The death and the resurrection of Jesus will impact your future. Which, which is why it brings up this question, what do you plan to do with your life? And I, it sounds like a rhetorical question. Like, but I'm actually wanting to ask you, how do you plan on living your life in light of the fact that the thing Jesus did was to head towards his death and resurrection? And then the secondary question is, are you, are you asking this question about what is I'm going to do with my life? And I'm not talking about vocation or job or like where you want to live and that kind of thing. I'm talking about the, the direction of your heart. What do you want to do with your life in light of the story that we're living in? So I want to tease this question out a little bit. First, through a story about a line of people who were asking the same question. And second, by looking closer at the invitation that Jesus extends to us. So first, a story. There was a man who from an, a very early age was sort of conditioned towards ambition. He was conditioned towards ambition. His father and mother were both sort of caught up in the story that, uh, 
you know, we just have to do everything we can to get our son to, to win the world effectively, um, to be upward, upwardly mobile. And they sent their son off to a fancy, fancy sort of boarding school for a while when he was a young kid, only to bring him back at the age of 15 so they could save up money to even send him to a fancier school. And it worked. Um, this sort of line of education has sort of worked out for this family. The kid went on to get the best education. He grew up to be a young man who went off to a top-tier university, and he began to make all sorts of connections in the world, all sorts of important connections, political connections. He was super talented. He was a phenomenal public speaker, and so he got invited to, 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 to present his rhetoric in front of large, large crowds and to speaking gigs, and that just won him influence in the world in which he was in. And so he had more or less made it, like seriously made it. He was wealthy. He had lots and lots of opportunity, top jobs, lots of influence, lots of access to parties, drugs, women. He had multiple partners throughout the city before settling down with one woman who he refused to marry. But this was his life. And from the outside, most people would observe that, man, this guy's made it in the world. Like he's winning at life. But on the inside, he knew that no matter how much acclaim that he won, no matter how much support he gained, like from really important people, and know how much intimacy he pursued through sexual encounters, at his core, what he realized is that he was actually pretty unhappy. How many of you heard a story about people like this? I mean, this is like a, a trope almost. Like we hear stories about this. Everything from the outside is looking great. On the inside, I'm dying. And he was beginning to ask some of these deeper questions and philosophical questions about life, questions about the meaning of life and what it meant to be a human being and how he was going to live out his life. And then he had a visit from somebody in, uh, who lived in another city. This person came, was passing through, and the, this man and his friends were sort of in between parties, okay? So they hosted this, this, this visitor they had some hospitality, and this man from another city comes into town, and he joins them for a meal, and he notices on the coffee table a book of the letters of the Apostle Paul. So there was scripture on the table because the first man, again, had become to ask some, some deeper questions about, about the meaning of life, and so he had picked up the letters of the Apostle Paul. Sort of strange reading for a guy in this season of life who's sort of out there winning, but he's sort of wrestling through the scriptures in these deeper questions. And the out-of-town guest, he points to the letters of the Apostle Paul, and after a little conversation, he says, hey, I'd like to tell you my own story. See, he himself, the out-of-town guest, he also used to live in a very similar situation in life. He used to live in the big city with a big-time government job, and he had lots of power and money and influence. And then he was on a work trip, a different work trip, And he got sort of turned around in the city that he was in. He got lost, and he stumbled uh, sort of into a side road uh, where he interrupted a prayer meeting that people were having. And these people invited him in, and they handed him a book, and the book was a biography of one of the desert fathers whose name was St. Anthony, who himself was born into a life of privilege and gave up a life of privilege to serve the poor to engage in a life of prayer. And so listen, I've just nestled like three stories inside. You guys ever seen those little Russian Matryoshka dolls? Like that's basically what's happening, but that's actually the point of the story. So so stay with me here for a second. 
St. Anthony's Christian life began with him giving up his life of privilege to follow Jesus into a radical way of prayer and service and love. And he began to inspire other people to give their life away. And a generation or two later, a government official gets lost in an unfamiliar city, is hosted by some men who were in the middle of a prayer meeting. These men were monks, by the way. And they themselves had given up lives of privilege to serve the poor and to love those around them. And then years later, this government official gives up his life of privilege to follow the way of Jesus and radically shifts the shape of his life. And then years later, he's passing through a city, uh, stops by to see a famous public speaker, and himself is asking really deep questions about what it means to be a human being. He's reading a coffee table book of the letters of the Apostle Paul. And this guy, this famous public speaker, ends up like listening to this man's story and this whole line of progression about people who give up their life of privilege as an act of service to the poor in a desire to serve God out of the story of the gospel. And this guy's name is St. Augustine who had the most radical influence on the early church. So from this moment on, he began to orient his life around the scriptures in a different way. He began to think about what it would look like for he himself to give up a life of privilege and wealth and to serve out of the story that Jesus is telling. And listen, friends, uh, there are countless other stories of people that you have heard of that have a similar story of this. But more importantly, there are countless stories that could be told of people that you've never heard of who in faith began to understand that Jesus' invitation for our life is to lay down the life that we initially think that we want, to relinquish that into the hands of Jesus, and to receive a new kind of life that is oriented towards service and love in the way that God loves. is to lay down the life that we initially grab onto and to let that life die, to give it up in order to truly find the life that we're meant to live. And so friends, there's a, there's a way to die to the life that you thought you wanted in order to gain the life that God has for you. There's a way to die to the life that you thought you wanted in order to gain the life that God has for you. And, by the way, it's possible to gain everything in the world that you think you're looking for only to wind up completely empty. And the ancient people called uh, the sort of inner center of who we are, they called it the soul. And so what we read in the scripture is it's possible to gain everything in the world and yet give up the most important part of the center of who you are, which is your soul. So Matthew chapter 16, we're going to look a little deeper um, here uh, from Matthew chapter 16. Um, so let me just read, if you have a Bible, I'm beginning in verse 21, Matthew 16, verse 21. So from that time, uh, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter uh, took him aside and he began to rebuke him. He said, never, Lord. He said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Oh, those are strong words, Peter. Uh, get behind me, Satan. Jesus says to Peter, you are a stumbling block to me. 
because you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can, you, or, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Okay, so let's go back with me to verse 21 here. Verse 21 says that from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So I want to stop right there for a second. There's an important moment happening here. I just want to give a little bit of context. We get this clue that there's a transition happening in this moment in the life of Jesus and and sort of how he's communicating to the people around him. From this time forward, Matthew says that there's a turning point, and Jesus begins to sort of show his hand a little bit more. Up to this point, there's been a little bit of mystery about what Jesus is up to. It's like all of the work that they've been doing in all of the villages, the work of healing, the work of preaching, the question has always been like, what is this headed towards? What's happening right now? And so Jesus is beginning to show his hand a little bit, and he's beginning to saying, we're heading into Jerusalem, and he's beginning to reveal that he's on his way to his death, heading to Jerusalem, not to bring up an uprising, not to lead the Jewish people to conquer their political opponents or to fight for their freedom, but he's on his way to die. And as Matthew tells the story, Jesus, again, he's been traveling throughout all the countryside. He's been unfolding the scriptures for people, teaching them in parables, healing people, feeding people, having compassion on people, casting out demons, setting people free from oppression. He's been demonstrating the kingdom of God all throughout the surrounding region. This is the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like. And the people are following Jesus from town to town. And so he's, he's getting a little bit of notoriety. People are beginning to wonder, man, what is this guy going to do? What is he up to? He's becoming super popular. But all of this momentum that was happening around Jesus, what it was doing is it was feeding the expectations that people had for what the Messiah would probably do. Most people, most Jewish people in this time, What they assumed was going to happen was that God was going to send an anointed leader to basically lead his people to freedom, to revolt, to get behind their nationalistic ambitions, and to overthrow the Romans, to release them from the captives. And so most people were thinking of Jesus eventually as a warrior king, as someone that's going to start an uprising in a a war. Because God had promised through the scriptures that one day there would be a deliverer who would rise up and deliver God's people from the hand of their enemies. And so when Jesus begins to talk about the kingdom of God, he begins to talk about heading to Jerusalem, what people around him hear and what people project on him is the the expectation that they're headed to, to war. Does this make sense? The assumption 
of all of the Jewish people at this time was that if God is on our side, we're going to be winning. If God is on our side, we're going to be the winners in the end. So Jesus is in the midst of a lot of expectation, which is why earlier in this same chapter, Jesus turns to Peter and he says to Peter, um, hey, who are people saying that I am? So verse 13, just a couple verses earlier, Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And with a little bit of conversation, he turns to Peter and he says to Peter, Peter, what about you? Who do you say that I am? What do you think this project is up to? And Peter turns and he says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And what Jesus responds to Peter in this moment, again, a few verses prior to this, is he says to Peter, Peter, you are absolutely blessed. I don't know how you have come to that conclusion, but I think that only the Father could have revealed this to you. You are blessed because of that. So Peter has an accurate view in this moment of who Jesus is. He's heard a word from God. God has whispered something deep and true into Peter's heart. He says, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. He understands who Jesus is. But we see in just a moment that he has an inaccurate view of what Jesus is about to do with his life. So from this time forward, Matthew says, Jesus began to show his disciples that he had to head to Jerusalem to suffer many things, to be killed, and to be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and said to him, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. That's a pretty quick transition. One moment, Jesus is saying, you are absolutely blessed. You really seem to get it. And a few verses later, Jesus is calling Peter Satan. In this moment, Peter understands who Jesus is, but in this moment, Peter fails to understand the way that Jesus is deciding to live his life and to move forward. And friends, I just want to say that Jesus' invitation is not just to know about Jesus and come to the right conclusions about who Jesus is. The invitation of Jesus is an invitation to follow him and follow him in his way of life, which includes heading towards Jerusalem for death and resurrection. So I want you to think with me for just a moment about some of the things that we've been looking at in the life of our church. If you've been here for a little bit, some of the themes that we've been pressing into, living generously, engaging mercy and justice, and loving your enemies. Living generously with those around us or uh, allowing God to, to work with uh, the lives, our lives in the work of mercy and justice or growing and our capacity to love our enemies. These are just like a few highlights of the past month or so. So friends, to live generously with our, our, our wallets and our time, specifically, requires us to deny something that we want so that others can have what they need. There's like a little bit of death there. Do you see that little death? How many of you have experienced a little death when you've had to like experience generosity? Like you decide not to get the fancy car, so that you have money to like live a life of generosity, something like that. By the way, there's nothing wrong with fancy cars. I'm just saying that sometimes people decide to not do that. 
sometimes practicing radical generosity puts us like in this moment of, of a little bit of dying or to lean our life into the way of service to get our hands dirty in the work of extending mercy and working towards justice means that we'll almost always be giving up some part of our life of comfort. And we look towards a life of engaging in the work of mercy. What we do is we give up the distance that we've created between us and the suffering of others. And we give up that distance in order to engage in, in suffering and, and the work of mercy and justice. And in our journey towards loving our enemies, we often die to our need for them to see things the way that we see them. In order for us to love our enemies, we have to sort of have this small little death where we're able to say, it's okay for them to think that thing about me. I'm going to choose to love them anyway. So friends, becoming human in the way in which we've been describing it and the way that the scripture unfolds us, unfolds for us in the life that God is inviting us into means that death becomes a natural part of the way that we live. There's these small little moments of dying, of handing over our life in order to lean into the way of Jesus. So all the things that we've been leaning into have some level of dying that's sort of baked into the system. And death and dying become an everyday occurrence in the following in the life of Jesus. So Jesus... He talks about denying oneself, taking up your cross, and following him by taking on a life of dying. Does this make sense? Now, listen, obviously when Jesus says taking up his cross, what he has in view in his own mind is the death that he is about to experience. But I want to just talk a little bit about what it means for us to, to take up our own cross and to die. Friends, there's so many ways that we could take a look at the scriptures and look at the life of Jesus and be confronted by the radical teachings of this first century rabbi. We could behold his brilliant rhetoric from the Sermon on the Mount or how he finds these interesting ways to get out of these complex situations or the ways that he seemingly takes these complex laws from the Old Testament and he breathes new life in them and it causes us to reorient the way we think about the world. We could, we could just look at the teachings of Jesus and, and, and apprehend it. We could look at the life and the teachings of Jesus and we could pair the teachings of Jesus with other ways of thinking and other philosophies. We could weigh the teachings and put them up against our deconstruction or whatever is happening in that space right now in the world. We could do a cost-benefit analysis on, on whether or not our life will turn out better with this set of teachings versus this set of teachings. And this would in some way be to apprehend who Jesus is. And we could agree in our hearts that these teachings are teachings to try to follow. And we could marvel at watching other people try to follow the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus could come to us and he could ask us what we think about all of the stuff that we read about in the scriptures. And we could say, man, it sounds great. I love it. It sounds like a great plan. But then there are these moments in our life of following Jesus, when he looks at us, he brings us close, and he lets us in on the plan, not just for his life, but the plan that also includes his death. And then he says, I want you to come with me. I want you to come with me into the dying part. 
but there's resurrection on the other side. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, whoever wants to be a learner of me, that's what it means to be a disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So friends, really simply, I just like want to wonder with you this morning, have you had this moment yet in following Jesus where it's shifted from understanding and apprehending who Jesus is to facing your shoulders towards Jerusalem on the way to death. Yay! (laughs) Have you had this moment yet in your life of following Jesus where it feels like death? Because here's the thing, um, I'm just convinced that it's possible to be caught up in the teachings of Jesus and to study the teachings of Jesus and to know the scriptures and to read the scriptures and be like, oh man, what a great idea. Like, we should think about praying for our daily bread. But have you ever had the moment where you're like out of bread, you're like out of money, and it feels like doing the things of Jesus is requiring you some level of death for you. You ever had a moment where it's like you're, you're faced with the decision where you just know that, man, I think that Jesus is inviting me into this thing over here, but it requires giving up this thing over here, and there's a little bit of dying. I have to let this thing die in order to follow Jesus in the thing that he's inviting me into. Have you had that moment? And here's the thing. From here to here, often doesn't feel very far externally, but internally, it feels like crucifixion. It feels like dying. Are you with me here? Do you follow what I'm asking you? There's one moment where you understand the life of Jesus and it feels like you get it. You're reading the scriptures. You're following the storyline. You're moved in your spirit by healing of the blind man. You're captivated by Jesus' compassion for others. You're watching Jesus live his one wild and precious life. And the next moment, Jesus is inviting you to head with him to death and resurrection. And friends, listen, the thing that we have often gotten wrong in the way that we read the story is that we think that resurrection only happens in the future. We think that this life is just about the dying part and the next life is about the resurrection part. But again, we return to the text to see that resurrection comes after death and Jesus is instructing us to take up our cross every single day, which means that every single day there will be death and resurrection, or at least that's the possibility that Jesus is inviting you into. Or as someone else has put it, the story that you live in is the story that you live out. Pastor in the UK, Pete Hughes, a little quote from him. The story that you live in is the story that you live out. And guys, the story that we live is is a story about death. It really is a story of death, but it's also a story of resurrection. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So the pattern of life that Jesus gives us is a pattern 
of giving his life away, pouring out his life into the world with his words and with his heart and with his hands from the very beginning in taking on flesh to dwell among us, God is pouring himself out into the world and then he sets his face towards Jerusalem to die and he invites us to come with him. It's one of my favorite moments in scripture because Peter is like, absolutely not. But the beautiful thing that we read about, you keep reading in the scriptures, you guys know the story of Peter? Peter has like a handful more moments where he just doesn't get it. (laughs) He has moments where he completely denies knowing Jesus. I mean, there's this other moment in the life of Peter where, where Peter's like, I will go with you to the death. He finally gets there and Jesus is like, No, you won't. I'm sorry, buddy. Like, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. And he does. And years later, when the early church is trying to work out how it is that we get together, like, Peter has this weird moment where, like, he recognizes, like, like, hey, this is for everybody. It's not just for the Jewish people. But then he has this moment where he starts to constrain who can be at the table with him and there's this conflict and Peter just doesn't get it. The beauty of Peter's life in this moment is that Jesus is constantly inviting us towards our death and we constantly struggle to get there but when we do, there's resurrection. Here's the thing, Peter actually ended up dying, preaching the gospel and he actually was crucified upside down preaching the gospel. And so to see this part of the story where he completely doesn't apprehend and yet then eventually comes to the point he's like, I'm in, crucify me, is one of the most beautiful transitions and that's the transition that is welcome in all of our life. That's the invitation of Jesus to die and then resurrection. Okay, so how do we gain our life once we lose it? You're like, come on, give me some good news. And what does it look like when we find our life? So the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in the city of Corinth, locates his life of following Jesus around the theme of death and dying. And I want to begin moving to close with this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's not going to be on the screen. So those of you who have your Bible, you're winning right now. So the Apostle Paul is writing, and what he says is that when we are handed over to the process of dying for the sake of following Jesus, that we carry in our bodies the life of Christ, which shines out from us onto others. That's how we gain resurrection. The way that Christ's resurrected life is put on display to the world around us is through our participation in the dying of Christ so that the power of God becomes manifest in our lives through the Spirit as we follow Jesus in the act of handing over our life for the sake of others. And this just cascades over and over and over. And you are sitting in this room as a follower of Jesus because others have done this in their life. They've given their life for the sake of the gospel, and it has produced grace and life into your life. So listen with me as Paul writes. He says, we are afflicted in every way, 
How many of you felt some affliction in your life? I had one person raise their hand. Are you guys all like, you're all winners. Okay. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despairing. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. He says, so death works in us, but life works in you as a result. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what it is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us to you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace, so that the for all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer person is decaying, our inner person is being renewed day by day. That's resurrection life right there. For our momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the, seen, the things which are seen are temporal, and the things that are not seen are eternal. Friends, the, the way that Paul lives this out is to recognize that the dying in his life that he has experienced in following Jesus is a vehicle through which the grace of God flows into other people. And this is not something that we always get to see. St. Anthony never saw the grace of God spreading through well-off men who followed his example by relinquishing their wealth in order to serve the poor. And he certainly never got to see the impact of St. Augustine's life, whose life was radically impacted because St. Anthony did what he did. And that death in him produced grace and life in the next person that then happened again and again and again. Most of the resurrection life happens right here. And nobody gets to see it. It happens when my death produces life in somebody else. Your death, you're dying, you're relinquishing control of your life. You're relinquishing your grasp on that winning life that Instagram tells you you have to have. When you relinquish that, then grace can flow out of you onto other people. So the life we gain, the life we find is a secret life where grace is flowing from our life by the power of God into the life of others. And the apostle Paul calls this glory. That's glory. When we give up our life for the sake of following Jesus, when we take up our metaphorical cross and enter into daily dying for the sake of Jesus, we give up our life in loving others. We give and we live generously. We get our hands dirty in the work of justice. 
We love prostitutes on Sullivan Avenue. We learn to love our enemies. And in all of that dying, we find a new life in participating in the work of the kingdom through the power of God. Does this make sense? So I want to just close with a, a couple of short points for you to consider and an invitation. And then we'll worship. The only person who gets to tell you what it means to deny yourself and lay down your life is God himself. So God's invitation comes to each of us in our own set of circumstances. And too often we've tried to prescribe for people what it means for them to deny their, their, themselves and what it means for them to bear their cross. If you've ever sort of been in a, in a religious Christian environment and someone is just like, well, you just got to bear your cross, sister. Nobody else gets to tell you what it looks like for you to take up your cross. That is a conversation between you and Jesus and among people that love you in community. And the second is, is very much related, is that we lay down our lives for the sake of Jesus. He is the one extending the invitation to you. So if somebody comes to you, some religious leader, somebody says to you, you know, I need you to lay down your life, for you to build my thing with me. If Jesus asks you to do that, you should do it. The invitation is an invitation from Jesus, not from other people. And so in closing, I just want to offer a couple of questions for reflection. Actually, just one. Is there anything in your life of following Jesus that might feel like a little bit of death or dying that he's asking you to walk into. And these don't have to be heroic deaths, friends. Those who are faithful with little get entrusted with much. And so some of the little pieces of dying, they just happen in these small ways and there's nothing fancy about them. So married people, there's always an invitation to death. Single people, there's always an invitation to death. It doesn't matter what station of life that you're in. There's these small invitations in the life of following Jesus. Okay, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. Friends, let's worship out of the word of the Lord to us this morning. Thank you.